Hello and welcome to another edition of The Running Anthropologist, brought to you by Mark Lane Holbert and Megan Lane Holbert, lovely co-producer and wife. We are really excited about bringing you running stories from across the world in our second ever Peace Corps Running Stories edition. This one, I think you'll really enjoy, has some very personal stories and really gives you an impression of the places where these individuals were running and spent a few years volunteering, getting to know the local community so that they can really tell you what running and culture are like in these places. Uh, We're going to be covering all the way in northwest China, including the Great Wall Marathon, and we're covering Honduras and Panama, as well as Cameroon and Rwanda, so both East Africa and West Africa. Got a lot of great insight and a lot of really cool things to learn about today. Look forward to having you along with us on the journey. Here we go. And welcome to the show, Brendan Hans Tomas. Um, really happy to have you and look forward to hearing about your experience in the Peace Corps and running in Northwest China. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. You're welcome. Um, so to start off with, I, I have to just say that I think it's really impressive that um, you took part in the Great Wall um, Marathon in China, and um, maybe maybe you could tell us, you know, how you found it, um, you know, how your Peace Corps service led you to that to that point. Yeah, of course. Um, so running is very much a, a family thing for me. Um, I did my first 5K when I was seven years old. Um, I have a grandfather who's a, a running legend in northern Michigan. And my mom, she's run Boston uh, three or four times. Wow. And so she's a, a legend in her own right. Um, so when I arrived in China, um, I was a bit uh, concerned, you know, how that would carry over and translate to a, a new setting, a new country, and a totally new environment, um, especially given the pollution issues in many cities in China. Yeah. Um yeah. But in many ways, uh, I was fortunate in that my Peace Corps site was located um, by at least Chinese standards, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, I had one of the smallest sites in China where Peace Corps volunteers are placed. And I know this will sound large to any other Peace Corps volunteers listening, but I was in a city of about 60,000 people, Hmm. and that was the smallest site in China. so luckily, given the small size of the city, um, I was fortunate enough to have blue skies uh, to train and to run in. Wow, that's and, great. Uh, yeah, with, with kind of arriving and starting my service work there in China, um, was, yeah, was kind of felt that I had this gap where, you know, I had been competing for so long in the past. And I was looking to keep that competitive drive, that focus on maintaining a healthy lifestyle and and just being active just keep that going um so i stumbled upon this great wall marathon race i I don't exactly remember how i found it um because internet was very very limited at my site um but i managed to to, um to register for the race which took a whole lot of effort going to many banks trying to get money transferred to even just register for the race Hmm. um and yeah it was able to Sign up for the race, and it was a pretty incredible experience for my first marathon. Um, 6,000 stairs, um, massive elevation gain, and, and yeah, really, really incredible uh, first marathon. Wow. Well, um, Brendan, you know, 
uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, you know, taking a step back, um, you mentioned that you were in one of the smallest uh, Peace Corps sites or places that you could have been placed in China. Um, could you tell us maybe where that was and what your what your assignment was like there? Sure. Yeah, my Peace Corps site was located in northwest China, in Gansu province. And my site was about eight hours from the closest other you know, Peace Corps volunteer. Um, so I was quite isolated and quite remote, kind of on the edge of the Gobi Desert. Hmm. And I guess the other challenging thing about my site was that I was located on a plateau, hmm. completely flat, which made training for an extremely challenging race like the Great Wall Marathon and the 6,000 stairs uh, pretty difficult. Um, so in order to train for this race, I was having to bike 10 kilometers to the edge of the plateau to essentially where the plateau drops off and then just do repeats up and down from the bottom of the valley to the top of the plateau. Wow, that, that sounds incredible. I've seen many pictures of the Great Wall, and actually my wife has walked it, um, at least part of it. Um, and I know there's a lot of elevation change and a lot of unsmooth surfaces because it's, you know, it's built with very old uh, rocks and stones and bricks. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about what the actual marathon was like? How does it compare to your other uh, racing? Yeah, so it's a quite small race in, in terms of overall runners and like the number of participants. Hmm. Um, I would say probably maybe altogether several thousand um, between several different races. Okay. And in terms of the race itself, um, you're starting kind of at this little monastery area, um, kind of nestled in a valley. And then you're spending about the first 5k running up a hill to get just onto the wall. And then once you're on the wall, you've got, um, like you mentioned, very uneven staircases. Um, you've been running through the guard towers at certain points. Um, which could pose an issue um, for a lot of the runners. It's almost uh, like a choke point, essentially, huh. um, where many runners were having to, to slow down and wait for people to funnel through like these very, very small doorways, um, kind of single file at a time. Um, but this section of the wall, it was you know, definitely rebuilt. Um, I don't know what year, but uh, definitely in better shape than other sections of the wall that I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, but with that said, it was really challenging, especially going down hill and down uh, the side of the wall uh, to maintain control and footing on these very, very uneven and oftentimes a bit slippery stairs. Hmm. I've, so uh, I know that you did quite well. I've, uh, I've heard. Can you tell us about your result, uh, how, how you did in the run? Yeah, I mean, so just finishing a marathon itself was kind of the goal from the get-go. Um, not in my wildest dreams that I expect that I would take top five overall. Um, and yeah, crossing that finish line, finishing my first marathon, having it be the, the great wall marathon and, and yeah, having such a fantastic result was, was an amazing feeling. That's awesome. I, and I know that you've taken that confidence and used it as you went forth and doing uh, development work and now uh, traveling to continuing to travel to Asia. Um, Something uh, you mentioned uh, off-air, you've um, had a unique running experience in Cambodia uh, through through your continued work. Yeah, exactly. So post-Peace Corps China, um, my career and work um, took me to Cambodia for several years. 
and yeah, very different running environment than what I found in China. Um, I was, so I was based in Phnom Penh in the capital of Cambodia and it's, it, it's an amazing city and I have, I have so much love for Phnom Penh in Cambodia. Um, I wouldn't consider it an ideal running city though. Um, total lack of green space or even just suitable places to run. Hmm. Um, but a few buddies and myself kind of got together and we started our own running club um, to kind of build a, a community of sorts in Phnom Penh. Um, and so what we would do is we would set up these group runs and workouts uh, through kind of like interesting alleys and areas of Phnom Penh. Um, so in a way, it was kind of like a bit of urban running, mm -hmm. going through these narrow alleys, going through markets and um, weaving through the moto traffic. And, and through that, through that community of people uh, kind of built like a very fun and active running community in Phnom Penh. Cool. Well, you have to you have to send us some information about that. I think most of the listeners, including myself, of course, uh, enjoy exploring cities and places that we're in through running. And um, I suppose if you get out early enough, then you can avoid most of the uh, most of the things you'd run into normally. Exactly. Yeah, and it's still a very very active group there in Phnom Penh. And so yeah, if any listeners are headed through Cambodia or Phnom Penh, um, yeah, the running group meets multiple times per week and would happy to be show to show anybody the, uh, the best routes through the city. That's awesome. So uh, Brendan, do you mind asking what, what are your plans for the future? What's next um, in terms of running exploration? Yeah. So I just finished up uh, working for about a year in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Okay. Um, and it was a really, really excellent place to be based in terms of running. Um, you've got massive mountains with uh, some amazing trail races in the region. Hmm. Um, so I spent my weekends traveling around northern Thailand competing in, in various trail races. And, you know, having, before living in Chiang Mai, I had never really focused on trail running or even raced any trail races, but um, fell in love with it, loved running the mountains and the trails. And, and now, yeah, now it feels weird um, to run a road race. Huh. Um, I almost feel kind of like, you know, a bit bored or uh, complacent just running on the road. Yeah, I can see that because there's so much. I, I enjoy trail running as well, and there's so much differential terrain and so much to discover. Um, it's it's really a big shift mentally to go back to running on the road. Yeah, um, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's um, it's a really, really, I think, growing and kind of, um, yeah, really popular sport at the moment. How um, do you mind me asking? What are um, some of the interesting races that you did in Thailand, or or would you mind sharing those? Yeah, some of my good friends they host several races um, in Chiang Mai, uh, in the region, and so in August they have a series of races um, called the CM6 series of races, mm -hmm. and so it's everything from a half marathon distance all the way up to, I uh, believe the longest race is 166 kilometers. And they have a similar uh, series of races in November. Um, it's called Pongyang. And again, everything from 10K to almost 100-mile races. Wow. Um, they do Great. a fantastic job of putting on the races. And um, beautiful trails, beautiful mountains running through villages. And post-race, you've got amazing Thai food waiting for you, whether it's mango sticky rice or pad thai or smoothies. Um, it's a really cool running scene um, and really booming right now in Thailand as well. Wow, great. Well, we, we look forward to uh, having you share some of that. I know a lot of listeners probably will have the opportunity to visit Thailand at some point um, or 
after listening may may be more excited about the prospect of of going on a on a vacation or a short trip to Thailand. So planning a you know a, a race destination race um, through you know learning about some of these uh, running opportunities. So thanks thanks for sharing that. Um, good. Well, as we finish up, uh, could you perhaps teach us a phrase or a takeaway, something that you would like to share with others from uh, your time in China, in Cambodia, or in Thailand, um, that may help us uh, if we're ever there? Yeah, of course. Um, so, if any of you listeners have ever have ever studied Mandarin, um, you've probably learned that to say hello is ni hao. Um, however, in practice in China or in other Mandarin speaking places, that's rarely ever used as a greeting or to even say hello. Um, China is a big kind of foodie country, like eating is such a big part of the culture that instead of saying ni hao to say hello, um, people will ask you, have you eaten yet? Um, so I wanted to, to use a phrase or teach a phrase that combines both eating and also kind of active lifestyle. So oftentimes after a meal, people will say, which basically translated means walk a hundred steps after each meal and you will live a long life. Um, so basically make sure you walk after each meal and you will be healthy. Cool. That's a great one. And if I want to greet someone and say, have you eaten yet? What would be the easiest way to do that? Ni chigola mail. Ni chigola mail. Yeah, more or less. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll have to play back and get that a little bit better. So that's a great greeting to uh, to say hello to someone in a nice, uh, a nice friendly way. Have you eaten yet? Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that's that's really good knowledge, uh, and especially tells you a little bit about the culture around eating in China and wel- welcoming others to to eating as well. Um, so thanks, thanks a lot. And thanks for your time, Brendan. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Look forward to, to hearing more and having you on again. Thanks. Awesome. Sounds great. Happy running. Yep. Welcome to the show, Katie Long, who's coming to us live from Patterson Park on scene. So we might hear a little wind and maybe some animals or some people in the background, but we're really happy to have you on the, on the podcast, Katie. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Now you, um, just, to, just to confirm, you were actually in both Honduras and Paraguay uh, serving, right? In Panama. In Panama, so I okay. Did, I did Peace Corps my full two years in Honduras, and then 10 years later, I served in Peace Corps response in Panama. Okay, Peace Corps response. Can you tell us a little bit about what what is that? Yeah, so Peace Corps response is characterized as a short-term, high-impact project. So um, by and large, you have to have served in uh, Peace Corps for two years, and then after your service, you can apply at any point in your life for these other projects where you have to have the target language and you have uh, cultural competency skills. So instead of three months of training, it's usually like three days of orientation. Uh, and then they kind of send you off uh, to your project. So it was, and they have them all over the world. Excellent. Okay. So Katie, can you tell us what, uh, what was your daily life like and how did you, how did that connect to running in the Peace Corps? 
Yeah. So I, in Honduras, um, even in training, I did, I did my service just down the road from where I did training. So I was kind of in the same part of the country the whole time. Okay. Uh, and it was like a mountain, like a very quaint, amazing, beautiful mountain town with a lot of villages. Um, and I was a municipal development volunteer, but I was really partnered with a environmental nonprofit. So I did a lot of organizing of youth volunteers and um, basic sanitation volunteers, a lot of like youth recreation and sports um, and kind of like deforestation work and a lot of other things all through the mountains. So it was actually a beautiful place to run because there were tons of like dirt roads and dirt trails. Um, so it had always been a big part of my service. And once I kind of figured out where the good routes were and where I shouldn't run, it was definitely a daily activity for me. Cool. Now, would you mind telling us about how, how did that link up to your project or to local community members? What, what, what was part of your, your running story there in country? Well, I think I also had a mountain bike. So I also mountain biked around a lot. And mm -hmm. like Honduras is hugely into soccer. Uh, and it's kind of it was getting into baseball when I was there. And so like sports and fitness were kind of a big thing, but mostly for men. So it was kind of nice to be a woman. And I came in fit knowing how to run. Uh, so that was really cool, I think, to kind of like lead by example, because I was running these uh, girls education classes and girls fitness and rec programs. And so they would see me in the morning or the afternoon running and know that they would be meeting me like later that day to do soccer or ultimate frisbee or like self-esteem workshops. And I actually got to like got some of the girls into running or or to go with me. So it kind of tied into like my whole vibe there. Excellent. Yeah, the mission of, of the Peace Corps in that country, for sure. Um, now, I know that this transitions into more things for you, but when you came back, you did a program that was part of the Peace Corps for your graduate school. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I did the Shriver Peaceworker Program, which is part of like the Peace Corps Fellows USA. So it recognizes your Peace Corps service. Um, and so they set you up with a fellowship and a stipend to go to grad school. So I got my graduate degree in intercultural communications. And for my fellowship, I was placed with the Friends of Patterson Park, which is a nonprofit in Baltimore City, where I still work. So um, a lot of what I transferred back from Honduras to Baltimore, I like still use on a daily basis. So Peace Corps has never like left me for sure. That's the connection. Hence why you're coming to us live from Patterson Park. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, could you maybe tell us um, something that you took away from the experience, both running and serving um, and that kind of impacts your, your daily life back home in the U S now? Yeah, man. There's just like so much, it's so hard to decide on. And I've been asked this before and I never know what to say. I mean, they always say that you get more than you give and that's a hundred percent true. Uh, and I, I feel the same way about Patterson Park as I did of all my friends in Honduras that they gave me so much more than I gave them. Um, but maybe it kind of taught me the meaning of connection and listening and really hearing people and figuring out like where I fit in to help it all if I could. Um, so kind of like listening and patience and perspective taking, I think are just like huge skills that I was able to kind of get in Honduras that has definitely helped my work here in Baltimore. Um, and then 
as far as the, as the running, I mean, it's kind of a superficial thing, but I just kind of know that that's what I need to do to feel like really good in the morning. And it just kind of like gives me the, the, the boost I need to kind of get through the day and it clears my head. Like I know a lot of people like, like listen to, listen to something or like dance or something uh, or meditation. Right. And to me, running is my meditation. It just like, it definitely is a place where I can think or not think. Uh, and so it was hugely important for my service in Honduras and Panama. And then just like continues to be today in Baltimore as well. And it's a really great way to get to know places. Like I knew all of the hills and the villages in Honduras, um, and then all of the beaches and different places in Panama, because that's kind of how I got around. Sure. And I've heard a lot of people say that, that it forms a part of your routine and also that you're somehow able to transition that back home. And that's one constant that you have no matter where you are in the world, Um, particularly when you're living in a place where you don't know many people and where you, as you said, you're really just listening and learning a lot of the time. It takes a lot of mental energy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it's kind of a job where, you know, they call it the toughest job you'll ever love. And it's just something that's 24 hours. And it's not like go, go, go rat race 24 hours a day, but you are just present there with that community 24 hours a day, which is like both challenging and both just lovely. And um, so running kind of helped me deal with some of the challenges of that. Sure. You can get away, you feel a little bit less like you're in a fishbowl if you're kind of in your own running zone on your own. Um, and and I really like, you know, I've heard this from several people now, but I really like that you're connected that with, you know, self-esteem building women's, uh, you know, in particularly for, for women setting an example, um, for the girls that are part of your, your project and your running club or in impromptu running club there in uh, Honduras. Um, could you, I know both are Spanish speaking, but of course there are many different phrases and wisdom from each. Could you tell us maybe something we would find useful or interesting or even funny when traveling to Honduras, Panama, either or both? Hmm. Uh, well, you know, I, in Panama, I don't know how funny it is, but it definitely, or in Honduras, rather, uh, people say like, bah, after pretty much everything you say. And I think it just comes from like, verdad, like true. So like pretty much if you want to blend in, if you just add bah after what you say, that's like a pretty good rule of thumb. Okay. Um, and we, we, and we used to say that like, there's two phrases that are pretty common in, in Honduras. And one is like, fíjese which just means, Oh, like you'll never believe, but, and then, um, si Dios quiere, which means like, if God wants it. Uh, and like okay. both of those phrases take care of anything that maybe didn't go your way in the past or anything that won't in the future. So you can kind of get out of anything if you know, like those two phrases. <laughs> All right, let me use it. Let me try to use it. Um, si, Dios, okay. si Dios quiere, what's your next uh, running challenge? Oh, nice. Wow, good job. Um, uh, my next running challenge. Hmm. Well, oh, I shouldn't say this because I'm not sure if I'm going to do it, but I do have a good friend of mine that runs uh, soccer, soccer Without Borders here in Baltimore, which is like another amazing nonprofit. And they have a fundraiser on June 1st, which is a 10 miler. Um, so I might, I might see the Osquire 
do that if I can if I can work up to it and if I if I am not working that day I all right try to try to do that with them yeah very cool well we'll keep updated with you on Facebook please send us the link to that um, soccer without borders and hopefully we'll we'll see you succeed in the in the 10 mile or soon for sure <laughs> all right Katie well um, until next time happy running thank you so much happy running to you too thanks Katie Welcome to the program, Ashley Nadir. Um, really happy to have you and look forward to hearing all about your service in Cameroon, uh, 09 to 2011. Um, can you tell us more about what your assignment was and what daily life uh, was like as a Peace Corps volunteer in Cameroon? Sure. First off, thanks so much for having me. Um, Definitely. Excited to share a bit about my experiences. Uh, as you mentioned, I was a Peace Corps volunteer 2009 to 2011 in the village of Manjo, Cameroon, which is located in the, the littoral region, um, which is one of the French-speaking regions in Cameroon. Ah, okay. And I served as a community economic development volunteer. Oh, very good. So you did a lot with, uh, with youth, I'm sure. I did. I did. I uh, had quite a few varied projects. I worked with a microfinance institution, uh, taught business courses, but I also had a lot of youth programs as well. Um, one was a girls sports program. Another was working with high school students on a, a club that we called Club Success. And then another program that was one of my favorites was starting a, a women's sports club. Wow, cool. So that definitely ties in, I'm sure, with your running. Um, I know from just talking off air that uh, you've been running for a long time and you wanted to bring that with you into the Peace Corps. How did, how did that affect um, your work and what did people around you think about, about running? <laughs> it's a great question. Um, Cameron, I would say in general, is a very active, athletic uh, country, especially in southern Cameroon. Um, in the north, it's it's a lot hotter. It's more desert, um, and in the north, it's mainly Muslim community with a, a lot less females um, out running. But in the south, it was a lot more acceptable to be out running through the, the uh, through the forests. And I, when I first came into my community. My routine was to run, wake up early every morning at the sunrise, just like all the farmers in my community. And as they were going out on the paths to head to the farm in the morning, I would go run those same paths. And so I, I think when I first began that routine, people were quite confused. It was, it was not a normal scene to, to see anyone out running every morning, but also to see uh, a foreign female out on these same paths. And very different surprise and very different terrain than uh, what you grew up running in Colorado and Alaska. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, my village was surrounded by rainforest and uh, it was also um, there were quite a few plantations, so banana, plantain, pineapples grew in the area. So it was in these lush green rolling hills, whereas in Alaska and Colorado, running in the Rocky Mountains, 
very different terrain, very hot and humid as well. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I, I can hear you. I, I know where you're coming from. We're, we're in Florida, so have a lot of tropical weather here. Um, how was, um, how, how did that integrate you, um, into the community and what, what were a few of your accomplishments, uh, you know, from some of your community members, uh, uh, while running? That's a great question. I think running was actually one of the aspects that allowed me to really integrate within my community. Uh, as I mentioned, when I first got to my village and people saw me out running, they, they found it a little bit, uh, I would say interesting more than odd. They were just intrigued by the fact that I would get up and go run these trails every morning. And so a number of women started asking me about it. And a woman in my village and I decided that we should start a, a women's sports club. Oh. And so we we decided to uh, get a group of women together two days a week meeting at the local football field and village. Um, and it, so it became quite a regular thing for th- these mamas from my community to come join me on my workouts. Oh, that's and, amazing. Yeah. So th- I would say honestly that running in fitness became a way for me to, to adapt, to integrate and to connect, especially before I had the language skills that uh, me to fully connect and communicate. I think sports kind of creates that common ground without having to have the, uh, without having to be able to express yourself verbally. Sure. Yeah. No, and, and I experienced some similar things and, you know, getting to know not just the formal language, but the informal language and kind of how to respond to people, um, building relationships is, is great, you know, to do while running or in a sports club. Um, exactly. do, you, you helped build some camps too, right? Yeah, I actually started a, a youth camp as well. Uh, there was an orphanage not far from my village that uh, we created a summer camp there. And um, this ended up being, sports ended up being a, a big part of that summer camp, as well as a number of other activities. But uh, we did take the kids out on a, a couple trail runs during the summer camp. Nice. And they seem to really love it. I'm sure that that will go a long way, you know, being exposed to trail running when you're young and uh, knowing that it's always accessible because they live right next to it. Um, exactly. I, I think that's the, the biggest thing right there is you don't have to you don't have to have any money to get into running. It's something that anyone can do. Uh, it's accessible wherever you are. And, um, it's an activity you can do your whole life. Definitely. Did did they have some competitions in, in your area or outside of your area in Cameroon? Yes. In fact, I would say it's a little known fact that Cameroon has some incredible distance runners. Okay. Most people know East Africa for their distance running. But in Cameroon, there's quite a, a growing running community in the, in the bigger cities, at least. Uh-huh. And there's a famous run every year called the race for hope which is in the southwest region uh one of the english-speaking regions in cameroon and it's a marathon up and down the tallest peak in west and central africa called wow. mount cameroon wow yeah so my my first year i i saw the race being run it's on it's televised across country 
most Cameroonians are very into following the race, whether okay. on the radio or on the TV. And uh, so I set my sights on training for it by my second year. And so my second year, I signed up and ended up uh, completing the marathon. Uh, up in, The peak is about 13,400 feet. So you're starting near sea level, running up to 13,000 feet, and then running back down. That's amazing, Ashley. You, you had to have been finding some good training time to be able to, to do that. Yes, and that was also a blessing of Peace Corps service and the ability to create your own schedule. And uh, I had the mornings free every day, and, or early mornings at least, and would get up and run as many miles as I could. I didn't set a strict training schedule, but I would just run into the forest and see how long I wanted to go that day and then um, come home. Sometimes I'd be joined on the trails by by other friends or by by young kids from my community, they joined me for a, a short bit of that run. And so I had a great opportunity to train. Oh, that's great, Ashley. You know, I find that's true in, in many other cultures that um, they allow you more time uh, to do things that you think are important, whether it be family or getting up and having a morning routine, a morning ritual. Um, a lot of times, I, I think, at least in U.S. society, we don't make room for that or life is a little bit too fast paced. And uh, um, other other places such as Cameroon may be good for actually be better for uh, training for a marathon. Absolutely. I 100 percent found that during my Peace Corps service and and while living in Cameroon, it's uh, the emphasis in uh, how you spend your time, as you said, is is quite different than it is here in the U.S. It's it's much more um, much more flexible. You can set your priorities, whether that's family, whether it's integrating family, fitness, um, other activities into your daily schedule. I think that there's a lot more freedom. In that. Awesome. Well, you know, one of the other questions that I've been asking just about everyone is if um, if you have any takeaways, you know, from your from the Peace Corps service or from running in the Peace Corps uh, or both uh, that you brought back home with you um, and are sharing with others. Yes, absolutely. I think that sports allows individuals to connect on a whole on a very different level and it creates that common ground allowing you to come together with people that might come from very different backgrounds with you it sets that um ability to to just connect at a whole deep, deeper level and so yes. coming back to the u.s it's it's still something that i use in my life here in fact uh i'm a leader for the DC Run Crew, which uses running and fitness as a way to create connection within DC and very diverse communities. Oh, neat. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. As a matter of fact, I probably uh, encounter and share friendship with a lot of people that I never would uh, you know, come in contact with through racing, because anytime you go to a race or a run in your city, you find people that are so different than you and who, quite frankly, you know, you are outside of your comfort zone sometimes and it's, it's great to, to push you. Um, I, we'll, we'll definitely have to post a link to that, uh, to that group so that uh, listeners can, uh, can check it out if they're in DC area. Yeah, 
Great. We would love to have them. We run every Monday evening at seven and then every other Saturday as well. We do a long run. Cool. Great. Um, could uh, kind of towards the end here, um, if you have any other stories to share, you're welcome. And if you'd like to combine a story with a useful phrase or something we could learn to be able to speak if we were to travel to Cameroon um, that you found interesting or especially useful or funny. Yeah, so one of my favorite sayings in Cameroon is on ensemble, and that's just French for we're together. And on that's a phrase that's used every day, on ensemble, whether it's the good times or the bad times, we're together. And you have people there surrounding you, supporting you. Um, and it's something I carry with me since leaving Cameroon that um, even though I'm thousands of miles away from my community there they're always a part of me and they're always together with me and your family is is cameroon uh connected now yeah yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah so well actually my my husband is from senegal so uh, we still have the west african connection absolutely cool well and i'm sure that he knows that phrase as well oh yes it's it's a it has a lot of meaning in our family. Cool. Well, I, I wish you the very best, Ashley, in, in all your running. And I know you're going to do great things for the running community there in D.C. with all this insight. And I hope that others listening would, uh, you know, would check out um, both the, the marathon in Cameroon, but also um, that, that kind of initiative that, that you showed and, and learned from it. So thanks, thanks for spending your time. Thanks for having me. No problem. Happy running, Ashley. Thank you as well. Bye. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, the amazing Heather Deverna, who is from none other than Michigan State University, where we originally met, one of my good friends, who followed in the great path of joining the Peace Corps, uh, originally from Grass Lake, Michigan, and now a teacher in the city of New York City. And uh, welcome to the podcast, Heather. Yeah, and I was inspired by you. I have to say, Mark, absolutely. You were the first person to ever talk to me about Peace Corps. So thank you. Thanks, Heather. Well, I I think Uh I I was part of my grad assistantship. I was actually a Peace Corps recruiter, so I knew the lines. Uh, Oh, I had no idea. You didn't, uh, you never came off as, as, as selling it to me. So Thank no, you. I didn't know that. I tried to, yeah, I tried to just be honest about it. The, the highs and lows, the ups and downs, and then it kind of finds the people that are right for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it found me, that's for sure. And, and you definitely were because you're one of the most outgoing adventure seeking and challenge seeking people I know. So I'm, <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> you're welcome. And um, so can you tell us, just step back a little bit and tell us the where, the when, and the what of uh, your Peace Corps service? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I ended up serving in Rwanda um, for my Peace Corps service from 2010 to 2012. And that was back when, as you know, you didn't get to choose at all um, where your service was going to be. And so they had told me in my interview, sub-Saharan um, English-speaking Africa, and when I was contacted about Rwanda, uh, of course, that kind of gave me pause, being that there's only kind of one major thing that people associate currently with 
with Rwanda and that's the genocide. But um, I loved my service in Rwanda and it was amazing. It was more like I had to convince my friends and family that I was going to be okay when I went out there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, which was a whole thing in itself. But um, I, my primary assignment was um, teaching math. Okay. I was one of two math teachers actually sent in a group of almost 70 educators in my um, like training class that went out there. Okay. And that's what I did. Not many yeah, math teachers. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that there were like 10 math teachers. All right. Um, yeah, 10 math teachers. I think another 10 science teachers and then the remaining maybe 15 science teachers actually and then the remaining um the remainder of our group were uh english teachers and heather could you maybe tell us i mean i have a little bit of an idea about rwanda but just kind of tell us what it was like was there a great need in your community what what was the day-to-day of an educator Mm -hmm. and of the community like Mm-hmm. Sure. So, um, where, so I'll, I'll back up a little bit and just in terms of Peace Corps. So the Peace Corps program closed, um, in 1994, um, when the genocide, actually it might've closed in 93 before the genocide started and only reopened again in 2009. Okay. Um, so I was in only the second group of educators that they were sending into the country and at that time they so the education system is such that the students learn um in their local language kinyarwanda um for grades first through seventh or excuse me first through sixth and then in seventh grade they begin to learn um all their subjects in either french or english Uh um right so they which is yeah incredible (laughs) if you can imagine even doing that um (laughs) But the year that we got brought in, they had just mandated that all of the schools needed to be teaching, all the high schools needed to be teaching um, all the subjects only in English. Hmm. So they were phasing out the French system. Um, And so we were brought in to kind of support that initiative. Um, And then I taught math. So um, uh, in terms of the education system, uh, they had kind of two different things. There were day schools um, where students went just for the exactly what it describes for the day. And that's kind of like what we traditionally experience, I think, in the United States. Sure. Um, and sure. Then I, yeah. Then I was working at a boarding school um, where students would pay a bit more or have a scholarship to pay for them um, where they lived all the time. Interesting. Um, and studied there. Mm-hmm. So the community, would you and say so, that the, the community mm-hmm. life was basically based upon that boarding school community more than the, the larger community around you? Absolutely. Um, the, the village that I was in was comprised mostly. Oh, so I didn't explain that part. So, so when we came in with the second um, training group of education volunteers, we, the initial group had been based more in kind of larger villages or cities Hmm. because the Peace Corps wanted to be able to support them as they um, kind of rolled out the Peace Corps program again. Um, And we were the first group where they were like, okay, now we're going to put you in in kind of more remote locations. So definitely the village that I was in um, 
it, it was comprised of a church, a health center, and then the school. And those were like the three major things that made up our, our community. And when the students were there, you know, there were 600 more people. But I would say, I mean, outside of the students and the teachers, there couldn't have been maybe another 600 people, but I, I don't even think close to that. Wow. It was a, a very small community, yeah. So you were very tied in with the, the life and the ongoings of those teachers and those students. <laughs> yes, yes, very much. And, and you know, um, I went back to visit just a few weeks ago. I mean, the the guy that makes the bruschettes, which are like shish kebabs at the <laughs> local, the one like little bar in the village was like, Daverna, you're back, you're back. (laughs) So like, yes, I very much was known in the community um, and was tied to the community there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So somewhere along the way, though, you, you picked up or you at least part of your experience was running. And um, Mm -hmm. maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, how that tied into the, to the school and being known in the community. Uh, Absolutely. So, um, It was referred, like the translation in Kinyarwanda, um, you say you are doing sport. Uh And um, so uh, doing sport is not really a common thing unless you are like an athlete, like training for something. But uh, fortunately, there was a student um, at our school who was uh, nationally recognized for long jumping and like doing the 100 meter dash. And so I think he kind of acclimated um, the community to the idea of quote unquote doing sport and potentially training and running. Um, So whenever I went running um, and the village was really set on the side of a mountain. And so we had trails that went from our village um, into across the mountain into more remote areas where there were just single farms. And and then there was a main path that went to a marketplace that was probably like a 45 minute walk away. So I would run along there and I would be, I would be able to see down into the valley below me and then up along the mountain above me. And uh, in the same way, people could see me. And so I would be running and it's really common to greet people from far away when you're on the mountain. It's incredible how you can shout across and people can hear you. And so I wouldn't even necessarily see people. And and by the way, people called me Daverna because Heather is just not pronounceable for whatever (laughs) reason. (laughs) And then H H doesn't seem to appear in many other languages besides English. But anyway, so uh, they would call me Daverna and people, I mean, I would not even see them and they would be like, Daverna! And oh, you know, I would answer, yeah, like, yes, I hear you, you know, and they'd be like, you're doing sport. And I'd be like, yes, yes, I am. And they'd be like, oh, it's so good. And yeah, so that was like a common thing when I was running along through the mountain, across the mountain. Um, yeah, but it was, it was beautiful. Um, and I'm not much of a long distance runner, you know, I run a few miles, um, but it was really incredible. That, that to was enough. Run. Yeah, mm-hmm. did anything surprise yeah. you in in either your running or just your exploration of Rwanda uh, about the about the people or about the community that you worked in? Um, I mean, I th- I think this is a common experience uh, in Peace Corps, and, and to the point that it's become something of a cliche, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Uh, you know, you go expecting to help people, 
as a volunteer. Um, and it always just surprised me and delighted me. Um, yeah, I'll get a little choked up saying it, but how much people, um, helped and supported me, uh, my service. Yeah. And that, that's always a lovely feeling when you've been, when you've been accepted by a community to the point that, that they are anticipating what you might need. Um, and if you ask for anything, they're willing to help you with it. And I always found that, um, in Rwanda and it was lovely. (laughs) It was wonderful. It's wonderful to share that experience of humanness um and togetherness with uh you know people who were strangers not that long before yeah boy that what a great what a wonderful (laughs) takeaway heather uh... (laughs) yeah you know i mean and that's that's what peace Corps is right we're increasing peace through cross-cultural exchange and understanding and i you know it sounds corny as hell but it is the absolute truth about what you know what it is what the mission is and, and what you end up doing yeah and it, you know as you said that heather the the thought crossed my mm-hmm. mind the the famous uh kennedy quote uh, we all breathe the same air and mm-hmm. um the the humanness that you mentioned the recognition that we're all more alike than than we could imagine um and for me the same thing that you said the word rwanda spikes so much mm-hmm. fear and foreignness um, that I think it, you're right. It's one of those countries where it probably is the hardest going into because you have so many preconceptions and so much is known about it only in terms of violence. Would, um, Mm -hmm. would you say that, obviously I, I already kind of know the answer that you're going to tell me, but that part of Africa, (laughs) the the people Uh aren't violent people, right? There are people. Of course. I, I didn't experience any violence. Um, in Rwanda when I was there that, that I can remember, I, no, I, I, you know, saw more fights in Ireland, Mark, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, or as you can say, frankly, um, yeah. no, I, I, of course not. No, I didn't, I didn't see any, any violence at all when I was there. And you know what, let me say this too, that, um, I think, uh, Bond, Here's in other places that I met, like Kenya and Tanzania and uh, Mozambique. They were convinced that uh, East Africa was just filled with bribery. And there was not bribery in Rwanda. And I looked for it and I asked about it. And people were absolutely 100% convinced I just wasn't seeing it. And honestly, no one is getting bribes. Well, not no one, of course. But uh, bribery is, is not taking place in Rwanda the same way that I think it is elsewhere um across africa so that that was an interesting thing um to observe too and to hear about from other people that was not happening there oh that's interesting you know i i don't want to infer too much or induce too much uh from from what you've said but basically what i heard and what was my experience too is that sometimes the history of a country for um you know resources uh reasons of resources um, poverty, needs of people, conflict um, arises in their histori- in their history, but that on a person-to-person mm-hmm. level, you know, they're very welcoming and very grateful for uh, tourists and or Peace Corps volunteers. Definitely. And, you know, I went this last time back to my site uh, to visit the teachers that I got with previously, 
And currently they don't have a volunteer. And I think this is the first year since I've, since I was there in 2010, that they didn't have a volunteer. And, you know, I, I kind of made the joke like, oh, I heard you didn't have a volunteer, so I, I came back you know, just for the day or whatever to help you out. And that joke was not well-received, Mark, <laughs> because they were so sad about the fact that they didn't have a volunteer currently working at this school. Yeah, uh, so definitely they appreciate the work, having a volunteer um, uh, working there. All right. And you, you know, my last question is coming because I mentioned it to you. How, um, mm-hmm. how does your service uh, still impact you today, your worldview, your relationships, what you do as a profession, you know, all that stuff? Do you have any, uh, any ideas about it? Uh, so many. Yeah. <laughs> how long, yeah, how long is this? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think about Rwanda all the time and thinking about being in a situation where I was the foreigner and everything was completely new to me uh, and empathizing with students I have that might be experiencing uh, a language barrier or a cultural shock. You know, you, you absolutely learn empathy in that way. And just the willingness to just the ideas about how you're going to anticipate those those needs for other people and then also just wanting to share my experience all the time with people i love uh, students asking about it you know so many people you know very few people i think have been to rwanda so people are interested and i'm i'm happy to share about it and talk about it and uh, yeah just tell people take the risk to travel and to experience something new, I will happily encourage any day and, and do myself again, because I think you learn so much as we've been saying um, about our common humanness and recognizing that in other people. And then uh, seeing kind of where your own limitations are or maybe finding that you can get past those limitations by experiencing something like that yourself. Hmm. Yeah, that's really cool, Heather. I'm I'm so happy that you were able to join me on the program. And, you know, very few people at all have been to East Africa in in the world uh, other than Peace Corps volunteers that I know. So I'm, yeah. it was really neat to have your perspective and just, uh, I guess, just open up the globe a little bit for us as, as a runner and as a friend and, of course, as a Peace Corps volunteer. Thank you. Mark, wait, I, I forgot that I wanted to tell you um, there's a proverb in Kinyarwanda that I think would be really good to kind of close this out for us. Oh, great. Um, a proverb. Yeah, especially, yeah, especially, I mean, you know, I were talking before we started uh, long distance friendships, you know, we've maintained them despite being far away and not necessarily seeing each other. So um, the proverb is Kuri Yamaso. Si kuri yumutima, and it means far from eyes, but close to heart. Far from eyes, but close to heart. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What what a great yeah. way to close. True of so many of us. Yeah. Far from eyes. And the peace store experience, because um, even though I am far from Rwanda, it's very close to my heart. Yeah, I can tell that for sure. <laughs> same same with me in, in my host country in Romania. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll get back there soon. And uh, yeah. 
Thanks again for sharing that, Heather. We look forward to uh, look forward to having you on after your next uh, running adventure. Absolutely, I would love to be on again. All right, thanks, Heather. And thanks to all of you for joining us today. It's been a great journey, and definitely learned a lot in this short hour. Look forward to having you with us next week as we get a special episode on running the border with Alex Vernon, the Canadian border as well as the southern border of the U.S. And we have a special coming up on the Crim, which is the showcase race for Flint, Michigan, bringing back the running community and pride in their community across Flint, Michigan. Can't wait to have you with us. Please join us online at Running Anthropologist on Facebook, runninganthropologist.com, our website with blog and pictures and links from this episode, as well as our new running meditation. You can find us on Insight Timer. Just search for Running Anthropologist. Thanks for spending time with us today and hope to see you next time. Happy running.